Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Gentlemen, welcome once again to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, joined in the studio today by, among the frame brains on the planet, the largest of these, and also the nitrate film archivist at the Library of Congress. He is the better half of the film, guys. He's George Willem. <laughs> George. Uh, thank you, I guess. <laughs> Also, um, the uh, better half of the film, guys, and live in the studio today, he is the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers for 20 years and counting, and many, many of our favorite films as well. Friend to all the big stars. I talk to animals, too. And a friend of ours, he is J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, welcome. (laughs) Nicky Secret Dakota Ring. (laughs) (laughs) We have gathered on this day with a slight French accent to celebrate uh, yet another in the pantheon of perfect films, according to the film guys. It's a perfect movie. It is. You'll check out these baguettes. (laughs) And gentlemen, it is a French film, as a matter of fact. It is called Delicatessen. And I have to tell you that uh, I was truly smitten by this film. Really uh, unexpected, kind of out of left field. And strangely, although it involves cannibalism, a comedy. Does smitten mean you threw up? (laughs) (laughs) It is a film that has made its way onto our list. you just better check your baloney when you're eating this film. That's what I got to (laughs) say. No kidding. But gentlemen, before we continue with uh, the notion of this perfect film, let's first remember, recognize, and share the very stringent rules that this movie must This starts a lot of fights wherever we go, and we enjoy every minute of it, because we (laughs) kind of step back and watch people fight, you know? Well, Delicatessen creates the world that it exists in. And Delicatessen wholly sustains that world. Regardless of changes in society, delicatessen retains its meaning and entertainment value. And delicatessen will never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. Okay, each, each movie, movie is perfect, perfect within, within its, its own scale. scale. <laughs> You guys' French accent are just a little bit shy of plum on there. But yes. <laughs> yes, take your tongue out of my mouth. I'm kissing you goodbye. <laughs> I watched all of the Pink Panther movies to get it right. Did you? Very good. Well, it's funny because uh, I don't speak French. This is a French movie with subtitles. But by the end, I sort of I was picking up a few words, you know, sort of. Like, like uh, we be? Yeah, <laughs> like butcher. Uh, 
Okay. It is a, an interesting ride, no matter how you dice it and slice it, if you will. But George, if you could give us uh, a rundown of the action of the plot of this movie. Well, basically, the world of the film is that something catastrophic has occurred, and we are never let know what that is. But this takes place in this decimated city. And about the only thing left standing is this one small building that houses a butcher shop on the first floor and apartments on the next few floors up. And the whole gist of it is the butcher who owns the building, his renters pay him in food, usually little bags of corn, and he <laughs> sells them chunks of meat. Now, meat is very, very hard to come by. Because it would appear everything else is dead. Everything else is dead. Everything else is gone. And the way he gets the meat for them is he will rent out one of his little apartments, and whoever the poor sucker is who goes into that apartment ends up as the Sunday roast. <laughs> Which you don't quite pick up on right away, even though there's a clue in the beginning, but right. you, it becomes clear that dinner are, are, are it, yeah. leasing. Yeah. Basically, when they say <laughs> they're going to have someone for dinner, they mean it literally. <laughs> Uh, well, one day at the little hotel, butcher shop shows up a small, kind of funny-looking fellow pushing a taxi cab, which he was riding until he ran out of gas. His name is Louison, and he is an ex-circus clown, and he's looking for a place to stay. He's seen an ad in the paper. And so um, they, they size him up, and yeah, he's got quite a bit of meat on his bones, so they're going to they're gonna rent him the room and then, you know, take him out. The butcher's daughter falls in love with him. And she, uh, like most of this director's characters, has very big eyes. Yeah, which and, and she wears very big glasses because yes. her eyes are very, very bad. Um, so the story, such as it is, interesting. We'll get into talking about this. This film doesn't really have a a really a through line story, but it's more of a series of short episodes. But it's basically how Louison becomes part of this little community and how he and others try to keep him from becoming dinner or not as they're sort of all banding together in you know different configurations for or against the butcher. The that. story uh, has what Georgia said, but it has these marvelous little uh, – they just kind of meander off course all over the place, and it's absolutely a lot of fun, which is very much like its circus kind of feel. You know, the main performer is a circus guy, and he has these beautiful – they always show his feet. He's got these long shoes and <laughs> enormous <laughs> shoes. He's yeah. still wearing his yeah. clown shoes. Well, so they, they, he, he has to wear his clown shoes because he ends up giving his actual shoes away at the beginning as payment. I think for the cab. This ride. movie is oh. like a, they they barter goods quite a bit. They barter and exchange goods. Um, like when I first was watching this, uh, this post war Europe. Uh, I guess it's not meant to have any kind of right. They, they ne like I said, they never ha they never tell what has happened. All you know is that it seems like the, the government has gone into hiding and and you know it's it's a police state. And it has things a timelessness are... to it, so it, like it could easily be almost any. There, there are televisions which sort of might right. might date it, but it almost has like that Brazil feel. Yeah, they, they, the way it's designed and the production design is one of the greatest things about this movie. Is it? It looks like late forties, early fifties. The way they dress, the way they, the way their makeup is done. Everybody has this extended extended character through costume and, mm -hmm. and accents, and the you watch in this movie that uh, all the sets have these bending kind of counters in them they're always on the end of a bend of some kind nothing has corners or sharp corners it always has a real roundness to it 
um, every time you turn around, there was like this very, very distinct production design of, uh, of how they built these sets. I mean, they, you, st- you sit there and you watch this movie and you think, wow, this composition is really incredible. Part of that is because the production design was in- integrated into, this, into the shots of this movie almost all the time. Um, right. I would have no doubt. I would love to see a copy of the script for this movie because I have a feeling that the design of the movie is as scripted as the story itself, the way everything fits together and... Just the look of the whole thing. The, the, the look supports this sort of bizarre scenario. The whole thing. I mean, a lot of things are in vertical, kind of. You know, you're all you find yourself looking up and down quite a bit in there because they're always going up these steps, and and uh, there's not a lot of lateral work in this movie. It's mostly vertical stuff. Um, but again, you know, like I said before, is the the composition has been integrated into the production design to the point where you're you're, you're totally taken. It, it seems natural, but if you look mm-hmm. at that movie, you say, "Oh, this is pretty fancy stuff here that these guys are doing." Yeah, you know? and there's, there, I mean, there's little cinematic tricks they use throughout, uh, you know, shoving cameras through holes and long. Yeah, tracking how shots did they do and... that? By the way, I mean, I mean, that was amazing. The opening shot sort of follows, and the pipes are kind of a, a, a tie, a thread that binds many of these little action That's episodes right, because together. The, the building, like many old buildings uh, in Europe before the advent of the cell phone or even a regular phone, uh, had calling tubes that would go from room to room. Oh, I thought those were just pipes. You mean those were meant to be calling tubes? I think, yeah, some of them are. Yeah, some of them are oh. like calling tubes. They're very stylized, though. Yeah. yeah like everything Another else. thing you'll notice, uh, because of the food aspect of this movie, they are always going through like an intestine kind of configuration. <laughs> yeah. And they're always going down a drain, which looks like an intestine, or else they're going into the bowels of something, which is a frequent, frequent uh, established motif in this movie, is going through the bowels of, of whatever right, it is. Right, well, the you sewers. Know? Especially that's yes. There's one thing I should bring up that is very important. Just completely slipped my mind. Is there? There's a group of characters called the Troglodytes, and they are an underground movement that is trying to um, expose. Well, they're trying to expose the the uh, the butcher for one thing because they know that he is hoarding grain. Yes, he's got grain, and um, and they they are getting in. They're also trying to save through the the machinations of the young girl, the daughter of the butcher, they're trying to save Louison from being eaten by the butcher and his minions. And they're all, um, they live in the sewers. They live in the sewers. They, they all dress coats. in like rubber raincoats and, and hoods. And, and they're, they're like very, moles. They're very they're militaristic. Moles. You know, they have everything in sync. And, you know, and they're very organized as opposed to everyone else yeah. in the movie who's just kind of living on their ends, you know. Everything in this movie is very synchronized, you know, all the way down to the music and soundtrack, which we're going to right. say... George, did yeah. you misplace that projector? Do we have uh, that in No, here? it's right over here. Over Let me here. Plug because it in. we have me... a very interesting... Oh, wait, 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 that's a that's vacuum cleaner. Okay. That's vacuum cleaner. That's not... <laughs> oh, oh, watch your hand there. There's that's a, a saw. That that's a saw. That this is all about synchron- synchronizing yeah. sound motion. And there's, there's a particularly notable segment where the bed is making a rhythm yes. that right. travels George, throughout the house. I spotted it. The projector. All right, turn it on. There we go. Oh, my God. 
Well, since this movie is actually very visual, I guess we better tell everyone who just heard that piece what was going on. Um, <laughs> the actually the, the the squeaking you heard was the butcher and his wife or girlfriend. They're never really clear on that, and they're on their bed. And as they progress through their love making act, um, <laughs> the the camera kind of moves throughout the building, showing the different people within the building. They're all doing different tasks, and slowly but surely, they all sort of fall into that same rhythm. So Lewis on is painting the ceiling. Two strange little men who make the mooing cow toys are making them in sync. <laughs> the old woman is knitting in sync. The one woman is pounding the carpet in sync. And it's actually this beautiful piece that, of course, rises to this literally orgasmic crescendo where uh, Lewison falls off his ladder, the cello strings break, and, and all, all hell breaks loose, basically. <laughs> but it's really nice, and it's a nice tie-in as it builds. Right. And it's, it's so, so surreal, but so inviting. And it, it is the sequence that has sort of defined Delicatessen. Yeah, it was because, a trailer. Yes, they just basically ago. for the trailer, they just lifted oh. that entire sequence out. And used it as the trailer. This is 1991 <laughs> when they made this movie, so... Um. You're listening to Filmically Perfect. We're talking about Delicatessen. And gentlemen, I, I wholeheartedly agree. There's something about... I mean, the clip we just heard exhibits this amazing use of medium. And that's not even to touch on how this whole movie looks. I feel like it has like an amber cast to... Yeah, it, everything looks like it's shot at golden hour or golden hour plus one or something like that. That hour of the day. The golden the hour is, is gold. I believe, it's like one hour before sun. Yeah, we call it tragic hour. That's yeah. what we call it. <laughs> We're running out that of time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, hurry up <laughs> hurry, and get hurry. this magical shot. You know? but, but, yeah, but if you can get the shots at golden hour, you'll get this beautiful cast to all the colors. I don't know who's responsible for it in this movie. It could have been the production designer because the French, they do things very different than <laughs> we do in They're America. different. Yeah, we, the French make films, we make movies. That's the way it works. <laughs> well, I think a lot of it can go with the, uh, the cinematographer Darius Konji um, who has progressed from this uh, point on. He also did the movie Seven, which has oh. a most amazing photographic look to it. And they actually used a lot of really unusual uh, processes in the making of that film. And uh, for for this director, for Junet, he did the fourth Alien Resurrection. The use of color in this movie is really something to watch out for. You're going to see the use of green a lot. When they meet, when the circus performer and the girl meet, Mm -hmm. they have green on. And the post office guy that delivers, you know... The mailman with a gun. He is green. (laughs) The only thing I can interpret in this film means something interesting is going to happen. Usually it's digestion, because the one fellow is down there... In the basement, there's uh, the frog man, surrounded by frogs, and and he eats snails. Yes, And then by the end of the movie, he becomes a frog himself. Another, every time you see the guy's girlfriend, the butcher's, she looks like a piece of meat almost every time. <laughs> and he talks about her in that way. Pink, oh, I wouldn't yeah. touch these shanks. And, <laughs> That's <you> know. right. <laughs> you know, the way they establish this movie visually, it's very alarming because they make sure you get a good dose of that cleaver in the beginning. It's very shiny. Right. That cleaver definitely will set the senses straight on, on any kind of meat references in this picture because it looks like they've worked a serious amount of time to get just the right gleam off of that because it's really bad. It's almost chrome. At the end, it becomes a big deal. Um, Yeah, the opening is a poor little guy who actually wraps himself in In butcher butcher paper paper. and tries to hide in the garbage can because he knows the butcher is coming to get him. 
Um, and he he almost gets away, except uh, the butcher throws a lit cigarette into the garbage can where he's hiding, and he makes a little oh, noise. And then and, he knows. And then but, he gets caught. But these eyeballs of him wrapped, you see almost just nothing but oh, his eyeball. The best eyeball close-up ever in the history of film. I, those, I, I have never seen eyes They are like so that. red. It's like someone rubbing them with sandpaper. And they're huge, and he's just looking, and you just we share his shown her terror. anything from Lily Bunwell. Or... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that is yet to come. Well, and, and the thing about the movie, of course, food plays the major issue in the film. In almost every scene, there is something dealing with food or lack of food. They barter in food. Um, the mailman oh, brings a package goods. For the daughter, and it is a – it's like an orange, I believe, and he has to fend off people with a gun to keep them from stealing the food from from uh, him. Uh, whenever the television is on, 99% of the time, there are images of food. <laughs> when that cheese. lady falls asleep and that little lazy Susan's on there. Yeah, a little lazy Susan food. with cheese and, and chocolates on it just going around. And that's what their television consists of is images of food. It's kind of a hell. It really is a hell that it's like maybe somebody starving to death in a sense because everything they're always climbing through the bowels and you know trying to to move this and move the nutrients from here to there and, and no one can change what they're in and and they can't get away the wife of one of the characters hears voices yeah. all the way through the movie she tries these bizarre yeah. methods Ways to kill for her but she can't kill herself because she's already in hell right and it always Fails. I mean, and, and the way it fails is always ridiculous. It's Very Rube Goldberg, if any of you out there remember that sort of artist's work where everything's like mousetrap. Yeah. Overly, yeah, overly complicated Well, the one, mousetrap. she's got herself in the bathtub, and there's a lamp there that is plugged in, sitting on a piece of fabric that's connected to a sewing machine that's power source is selected to the doorbell <laughs> so that she's just waiting. She does. She wants to die, and she wants to kill herself, but she's just she won't knock the lamp Well, that's in. right. The, 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 as the sewing machine is turned on by the doorbell, it pulls the cloth, which then pulls the lamp <laughs> toward the bathtub. <laughs> but at the last minute, the lamp comes off the table and unplugs itself from the wall because its cord's too short. So it just gets wet. She's foiled again and again and again. Now, are we going to give away the ending on this, George? Um, no, I don't think we have to because, like I said, the way the film works, there's no – the story is not such a beginning, middle, and end as just a series of episodes in the lives of these people. The one thing that maybe might move through is the the love affair between Louise and and the butcher's daughter. It is really a sweet story within this sort of horrific, strange right. setting. And actually, one of the funniest scenes, and it's a beautiful little scene, is where she invites him up for tea in her flat. And she's got all her stuff set out. And she wears glasses, but she wants to impress him and look more beautiful. So she decides to not wear her glasses, but she's horribly nearsighted. So she tries to sort of... Take the glasses off and count her steps. And her yeah. measurements are always between food items. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. measuring with a coffee cup, and, she, and of course, when he comes in, she sits in the wrong chair. Then Louison, being such a gentleman and, and kind of realizing what is going on, does everything he can to to ease her burden. I mean, when the tea starts getting poured and it doesn't stop, he's getting little plates and trying to, you know, doing his sort of his circus act, trying to keep, you know, yeah, everything's a circus stupid. act. He yeah. stacks the plates, and, <laughs> and it's like this guy. He takes elements and he. He grafts them together. He's like some um, some crazy sidewalk artist or something, and he takes elements from here and elements there, and then he somehow like 
a circus performer, magician or anything. He puts them together and then he binds this into a story. He takes the elements of so many different things. Did this do well in France? I think it, yeah, I think it actually did very well. I mean, it did well enough that they, they almost immediately jumped on their next film, which is another exercise in this kind of post-apocalyptic world, even stranger than <laughs> this one. Which I, you know, they don't, uh, French movies generally don't have those huge budgets, but this one... It had to be on a stage when they were doing all this because I, I'm sure that they were running three cameras a lot of times when and getting one take, especially during the big water scene, you know? Right. Which yeah. is, if those of you remember the Marx Brothers stateroom scene, this is like an interesting homage to, you know, because you know what's going to happen. Well, uh, they use the pipes. And once again, back to these pipes becoming an integral thing. They're being chased. The, the, the Louison and the butcher's daughter almost caught. They, they lock, in the, lock themselves in the bathroom. And take the pipe. Pop, pull the pipes off of the wall and turn on all and then, the water and fill up the room. What you would think room. would be disaster, they're going to drown. What do they do? They make love in the water. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then when they finally succeed in busting the door down, it is only... A, when they a, open the door, it's their own demise. And our and our lovers make it and they are drowned. <laughs> but it's, it's like some of these really terrible disaster movies, the water's coming up and it's coming up. Uh, you know, Titanic or uh, there's so many of them where they're going to drown. Oh my gosh, you know. And then what do they do? But the they French kiss. take a chance they to have gonna, a kiss. You know, then they open the door. You know? <laughs> Très joli. Well, it's a fabulous movie in the way that uh, all the parts, the surrealness of it all does seem to make sense. I have to say, when I kind of learned the pre- premise, I was uh, expecting not to be pulled in. You know, a, a cannibalist a small community in post-apocalyptic well, that's France. That's one thing I... Yeah, that I find so amazing about it is that I can't think of a whole lot of directors who could take the issue of human cannibalism and make a charming, a, a charming comedy and a, a lovely, uh, quite beautiful love story. Um, because the last shots in the movie where they, you know, it's just, it's just very, very. Lovely. I can't think of another yeah. adjective right now. But You're listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, and we're talking about the perfect film, Delicatessen, the uh, 1991 French with English subtitles classic film. There's no doubt about it. It's rich in so many ways, and, and not the least of which, these crazy little occupants of the little war and the rabbit holes that all come together in this apartment building. They're just a huge cast of completely disturbing and charming characters. Yes, and probably very French, although I don't know having not been to France before. His casting, uh, one of the things you're going to notice in this picture, is this guy. He's really got his eyes on how faces work on the screen. Most of the time, these characters will move into the lens for an expression. And one of the ways they can get away with that easier than anybody else is because he's done such a great job of casting their faces. Like this girl has the big eyes, and then the circus the performer daughter. has a very high forehead. And a very like sort of malleable face. Yeah. You get the feeling that he could pull his lip up over his forehead yeah. if he had you to. see that two guys, uh, the uh, troglodytes, troglodytes, and they, one guy has a very long nose, yeah. and then they constantly book in and contrast each other all the way through this picture. So it's obvious that this man has a real gift for like picking out great faces when he's casting. Well, and also not only that, but the the characters themselves. A lot of them play their characters very understated, and then some of them have no dialogue at all. One of my favorite characters in the film is this, this grandmother character who uh, lives with her family. 
and she basically sits and knits all day. She never says a word. She just knits. <laughs> but in this great shot, the camera continues to pan down across her knitting to reveal that at the bottom of her knitting, the creation is being unknit. The threads are coming back out, and as they keep panning down, you find they've rigged up this device on their vacuum cleaner that basically unwinds her knitting back into a big ball of yarn. And then they give it back to her. They give to... it back to her to keep her to keep her occupied, you know. <laughs> so and she has no idea. I mean, at one point she goes out and the kids tie cans to her skirt and Louison tries to get her attention and either her son or her son-in-law goes, "No, no, no. We have those on her in case she gets lost. We can hear her, you know." So. And unfortunately, she of course ends up as meal number 2 yeah. out in the hallway where she is surprised by the butcher and really doesn't understand What's why he's happened? hulking over her with the uh, cleaver as he tries to scare her to death. You know, you'll notice in the close-ups on these people, because they have very good faces, you don't notice all the little detail that they put into their makeup mm-hmm. and everything's very exact on this picture. It's a, Both these guys can give pretty good direction because everybody's getting it. Uh, all the crew members are getting it. And the two gentlemen that uh, live, it seemed like the basement, maybe it wasn't, at least low they down. They live like one of the lower apartments. They make the moo toys for the children. The one right. man drills the holes. Drills you know the these, that you, you know, it's like a little short cannon. It goes... <laughs> We all had them, you know, when we were kids. They make those. The one guy drills the holes. They're manufacturing them. The other guy glues them, and it's it's the most sort of low tech. One's no goody. It doesn't quite sound right, and he pitches it. It makes well, a big deal a about the rejection on that. What, what I like is that the, while the one guy is drilling little air holes in it, the other one like glues the sticker on the outside. <laughs> but then he takes, you know, he, and it's always done. It's done so slowly and so deliberately. He will put it down. He'll reach over, pick up a tuning fork. Tap it, turn the thing over so it moves, and then go uh. himself to make sure it's doing the proper move. And he ends up with not being a full course meal, but just uh, the lower part of his left leg is he loses taken. Part of his leg. We're talking about delicatessen on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And I have to say, I was really, uh, really pulled in. I enjoyed this movie fully. I think that the rules, uh, they are cinched up. They are, uh, it's a lock. Absolutely creates the world. I mean, other than Brazil. It sort of has that Brazil feel, but really, I've never seen a movie set quite like that. Well, it's also interesting that unlike Brazil, it can basically have the same kind of story without so much dialogue. I mean, this film, I think, almost might have a more international appeal than Brazil because it is a little more universal in its theme. This director, he's a a master of form. He knows how to manipulate form before your eyes. Something, yeah, I wanted to mention about that. Normally, with a subtitled movie, I feel like I have to watch it twice. First time through to get the details of what's being said, and the second time to enjoy the images. Not so with this. It's minimal dialogue. You can easily read it and still be right along with what's happening on the screen. Well, the thing, it doesn't doesn't stand in an era, so you can pretty much bank on it sustaining this world for a good long time to come. I would say so, yes. Yeah, and, and I think changes in society, yeah. Retains its meaning and entertainment value, yes, yes. yes uh, within its own scale. As a matter of fact, I think <laughs> that when we all do become post-apocalyptic cannibals, we will find that this wait. was... <laughs> I just can't wait. So it is a, a perfect movie. There's no question about it. And if you uh, agree, of course, we always like to get your cards and letters. If you disagree, we even more like to get your cards and letters. 
You can write well, we sure to... like when you uh, write to us, though, because it gives us something to argue about. You know? <laughs> Usually it goes like, I think he's right, George. Well, I think he's right, but I think you're wrong. And then we change it. We go, I think he's wrong, George. Well, I think he's wrong, but I think you're right. <laughs> and we do this for hours. You can interrupt this dialogue by writing to the film guys. <laughs> it's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. That's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. You can find archived versions of our shows right there as well. You can catch us on npr.org or right here on wyso.org. The home of Filmically Perfect. That's right. <laughs> Gentlemen, are we going to give a tip of our hand to a movie coming down the pike for Filmically Perfect? Uh, no. Suffice to say that it will be perfect. <laughs> Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO and check us out at perfectmovie.net. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being by. Bon appetit. <laughs> oui, oui. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.